0: Well, this morning we continue our series in the little book called Titus, because it was written to a man named Titus. And we're looking at a passage of scripture that we've entitled, as far as it's the series, a template for the church. Or put another way, it's the blueprint, it's the pattern, it's the, it's the instructions you need to read if you're going to put it together. And as Paul begins his letter, as we've looked at in the past, pleading for them to really listen to him because he's worthy to be listened to. And anyone who knows anything about the Apostle Paul, he's. He knows what he's talking about, and then he jumps right in to giving instructions for Titus, who has been called to to give oversight or leadership to a collection of churches. And this morning, what we're beginning with is getting leadership right. And what I want to do, in contrast to how we looked at it this morning, I want to read the entire passage first, and it's only five verses, and and then we want to glean some highlights out of it. We... uh, as many of you know, we, we spent two years in the Gospel of Luke, and the reason I p- picked Titus is because I want to show you, I, I could st- um, preach a series that wasn't going to last two years, but as you, um, as you look at this text so often, you, w- you want to stay at, at a verse or, or discuss a little bit longer or further, and we will endeavor not to do that this morning in, in just five verses, but there's a lot here that we could go a little bit deeper with. But let me read the passage and then go back and we'll try to put some things together in a way that hopefully will be helpful for all of us. Paul writes now, getting to the guts of the, of, the, of the letter, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now, five verses, but he said a lot in those five verses, didn't he? I mean, what, what, what parts of that are we supposed to hold on to and grasp in terms of what God requires of leadership in the church? And I want to say this to begin with, you know, we, we've all been given the opportunity in America, if you are a citizen, to participate in the democratic experiment, the republic experiment, is that when people are running for office, um, many of the offices you vote for. Now, when we vote for people in office, whether it's at the local or whether it's at the state or national level, I think we need to realize we're not voting for someone to be pastor of the nation or the pastor governor or the pastor mayor. Now, we might like them to have all the qualities that are found in Scripture, but what we're asking them to do is whatever that position is called to do, that they would do it responsibly, they would do it well, they would have the skills and competency to make it happen. Now, we would like they have all the other things the Bible has to say about those involved in leadership, but for leadership in the church, you, you can't just, or we are called not to simply call someone in leadership that's skillful or effective or competent. They are to have the characteristics and qualities that are an example for others to fall as well. So it's not only what you do or able to do or capable to do, but how do you do it? And so Paul is writing to... Th- this territory, which is called Crete, it's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 170 miles long, and that's the widest part, about 35 miles wide. And it's, uh, it's one of those uh, difficult places, if you were very responsible in terms of a family, to raise your children, because it's, it's not the most ideal place. In fact, if you have your uh, Bibles and have opened up to Titus, you look at Titus 1.12, and this is this was the description of the people that Paul wrote to Titus about to get the church right. And here's the pool of people you can now pull from to put into leadership. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, which is a quick way to say this, you know, people can talk about you, right? And we do that. People do that all the time in the media. Some people who talk to, about people in positions of prominence, they don't even know them, but they're talking about them. Would you agree to that? And some people have never met the people they criticize and, and critique. But in this particular case, and in, in the case also in our lives, we can have people talk about us who know us really well. And if they know us really well, they might have even more accurate things to say about us. Well, there's a prophet of their own in the Cretans, and this is how they describe the people who lived in, in Crete. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Anybody want to invite them over to dinner today, uh, for lunch? Okay. They, what, they're liars? You can't trust what they have to say or what they're all about. Uh, and um, they are if you're describing one word, they're evil and they're kind of beasts. And by the way, in terms of their work ethic, they're just lazy. Now, who wants to... Okay, who are we going to get to lead the church now? You know, who's a liar, who's a lazy, and who uh, you know, can't be trusted? And so as Titus is being commissioned by Paul to, to get the churches right, he's got a challenge in front of him, right? And so going back to what we read to begin with, getting leadership right and everything rises and falls on leadership, what kind of leaders were Titus to choose and the church to choose uh, to make the church a healthy place to be what God wanted them to be, to show the light of of Christ is real and he makes a difference in people's lives. So he goes on this way, for this reason I left in Crete that you would set in order what remains. Now, if you read into the the nuance of that, he said, you know, I was there and I kind of started that whole thing. I was on a missionary journey and people came to know Christ and some churches got started, but I had to leave because God gave me and there were other places for me to go. And and I look back, I was hoping to come back, but I'm not going to really... Be able to come back, and so Titus, will you go back to that place, that island, 170 miles long, 35 miles wide, and can you clean up my mess that I left? (laughs) Will you set it in order? That word "set in order" is a colorful word in the original language. It's a word from which we get orthodontics. How many of you ever had crooked teeth? Anybody had crooked teeth out there? Had to to wear braces. Anybody had wear braces? Okay, that was a four-year experience for me. You know, sometimes you have to have headgear, and they they. When you go in every time, they, they, they start tightening every time so they can get those things that don't look too good and put them in the right place. And he said, That's what I want you to do with those churches. There's some crooked things going on in those places that are po- supposed to be an expression of the goodness and greatness of God. Now, that never happens in our era, right? You know, all churches today are perfect places, right? Perfect people in perfect places, expressing love perfectly. Does that happen? No, I mean we're kind of crooked today as well. And he said, "Well, the best way to deal with the crookedness in a church is get the leadership right." It's also a word for orthopedics. Anybody ever broken a bone? Okay, I've had broken many bones, and you know you have to set in place, right? And he said, "Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set in place with the things I left, and it begins with appointing people in leadership." And so then the question asked, "Well, what kind of leadership do you want to be appointed in the church?" And other places we could go, we could talk about how that's, that's a Holy Spirit-driven uh, approach. It's also the church has a voice in it, but Titus was coming at the early infancy of that church to give leadership, to say, these are the, the kind of people that you ought to put in positions of leadership. And as I was going through this, because as I was looking at, it, it's, it's, for lack of a better term, it's kind of wordy. There's a lot of things on here. Unless you memorize it, what are you going to remember when you leave this place? So what I try to do is to summarize in five ways. What kind of leadership should be in place in a church? And I really believe our elders, our lay elders, live this out. Uh, But I also want to say, well, then can the rest of you just take a nap because you're not an elder? Well, that's not the point. Because really, leadership, if you were to boil it all down to two words, what is leadership? Leadership is when you have influence in somebody's life. And you have influence to the point you're taking responsibility to give influence in someone's life. So you have any kind of close friend or a family member or a person at work or person in your neighborhood that you are doing life with, you're influencing them. Isn't that right? Either in a good way or a bad way or a neutral way. And what, he, what he's saying here, this is, this is the qualities of leadership. These are things you ought to look for if From a Christian perspective, we're not talking about outside the church, and we can have dreams that all this happens outside the church. And when I say outside the church, I mean people who don't know the Lord. But people who know the Lord, this is God's mandate for us to live like this. And then particularly for the church, and that's the the laser beam application, this is the kind of people that ought to lead the church. And this is how I would summarize this. What kind of people one people you can trust? would you all agree that 's a pretty good thing to have if you 're going to have someone in leadership that 's going to influence, have responsibility that could impact your life? Nod your head like you 're still listening to me. right? You would want to have somebody you could trust. Well, how do you know if you can trust them well here 's some things to think about. Number one, you can trust them morally or ethically that is, as you think about how they live life and, and what they 're doing, particularly in the primary areas of of, of living. That's a trustworthy because I can see it right here. Secondly, and this would be assumed in, in an environment like this, you can trust them not only morally or ethically, you can trust them spiritually. And this is the uniqueness of the church, or people know a God in a personal way knows Jesus, is that it, it can't be just natural. There's got to be a spiritual dimension there, right? Then thirdly, they need to be competent. You can trust them responsibly. That they have the, the resonant skills or abilities to be able to do what they're called to do, correct? And we'll talk about when we get there, and t- to know how much time I have. And then fourthly, and I didn't know what word to put here, but you, you can trust them personally. What, what are some of the characteristics? What are the qualities of life that they demonstrate? And There's a list, and that was that list that I read about. There were quite a few of them. And then at the end, and every one of our elders have been involved in teaching ministries, you can trust them doctrinally, which basically is just you can trust them. They can communicate what the Word of God says clearly, and this is what it says. All right? Well, let's unpack some of that. What we're going to do is we're going to try to straighten our teeth and, and put our bones in alignment in the church. And then also as it applies... Uh, from a leadership perspective, and in some dimension, all of us have a leadership role in some people's lives because we're influencing people. So number one, you can trust them morally. In verse 6, after he gives the idea that you've got to point elder, he says, Namely, if any man is above reproach, and, that, and that's why I put it morally or ethically, above reproach means as is, is you're thinking about their life, you're valuing their life, is that, you know is that guy really shady, or is that person manipulative? Is that person uh, going down a path that uh, I'm not so sure about, or maybe they have gone down that path? He said, they ought to be above reproach. It, it doesn't mean that a person can never be criticized. You can criticize people, but you, they ought to be a legitimate criticisms, and they ought to be something where you're saying, no, this has happened, or I need to find out if that did really happen. So they ought to be above reproach, and if it's if that person has been involved in certain activities that, that you say, I don't know if I could ever trust that person again because of what they've done in the past. Doesn't mean you can't love them. Doesn't doesn't mean you can't be around them, but I'm, I'm not going to trust them. If a person robbed a bank, I probably wouldn't hire them to be a person in the what? In the bank. Would you agree with that? I might hire them for something else, but if he took money from a bank, he's not going to be doing bank work anymore, and, and you, could, you can let your mind just go wherever you want to go. If a person has been involved in certain types of sins, you can love them and say, but I'm not going to trust them to work with children anymore. Can you understand what I'm saying? But here what he gives, he gives an example here, and he says this, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, this is just as powerful to the Cretans back then, but also to Americans right now, because we have gone so far from what, what God says is right about what should happen in the home between a man and a woman. And, and what he is saying here, he does not say that, that some of these people, I don't even think he's really speaking specifically about divorce here. He's not speaking about polygamy right here. Um, he's not even really speaking about homosexuality right here. He's not looking at in in a, a laser point here, though God's word speaks about some of those things, does speak about those things. But what are you saying here? What is what is the character of that person's life with his life partner if he is married? I don't think he's talking about can a person be single or or does he have to be married to be a, an elder? But what are you saying here? If you are married, what you are is you're, a, and this is what it literally says in the language of of the, the Greek New Testament. Is he a one-woman man? Or like in Matthew 5, 20, he says, look, if, you, if you're lusting after someone who's not your spouse, you've committed adultery in your heart. Do you have roving eyes? You're always looking for maybe someone that might be a little prettier, a little bit better, someone you might want to have an experience with. He said that, that, is, that can't even be on the table for someone who is going to lead spiritually. He said that person has to have a, it'd be a one-woman man. Um, man that his heart is devoted to that one who is his married partner does that make sense quite frankly it's it's hard to trust someone that that if if he breaks the marriage vows what other vows is he going to break right you understand that and so he gets right out here morally I think it's got to begin right here it's got to be in the home particularly in the primary relationship other than our relationship with God is our life partner if we have a life partner doesn't mean God can't forgive sins in the past, can't restore people in turn to some levels of leadership. But this person has to be so clear. That this is a one woman man. Now, women, is that the kind of you know husband you want to have? You know, who, who you know is going to be loyal to you. And if he can't be loyal to you, is he going to be loyal to anybody else in the church? So uh, there's a verse. If we could go all these all these passages in Proverbs six to talk about. Look at. it. it, it in the sexual area, if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And, and Proverbs 6 says that very plainly. In, in Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, who, who's the smartest, other than Jesus, who's the smartest man in the Bible who ever lived? Solomon, right? We all say Solomon. He asked for that, got, the, got, got wisdom. And, and wisdom is knowing what you ought to do. But wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to actually what? Do it. And it says in Nehemiah 13, verse 26, is that, that Solomon, because of all the foreign women and wives in his life, it brought him into a life of sin. And, and what was the consequence of that? That kingdom, after, his, after he finished ruling, it split in, not exactly how, but it split in two. Why? Because right here in God's program, he could not be trusted morally and ethically. This is a big thing. And I want to tell all the horror stories that have happened in churches and in Christian ministries because this did not happen with the guy leading the ministry. Secondly, oh, another verse. It's, it's, well, well, it's one I like, so I'll just quote it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. Let, um, what does it say? Uh, oh, let no man look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to an example to others. So right at the top, he was telling another pastor, a younger pastor than Paul, Timothy said, look, you need to be an example. I don't care how old you are, but you need to be pure in that relationship uh, that you have with others. So you need to trust someone ethically and morally. And does that really apply to all of us? Of course it does. It applies to people and spiritual leadership in a church, but it really should be our goal for all of us. Secondly, can you trust them spiritually? And, and, and I got this from this point, and this one we could spend some extra time, but have, and he goes on after the husband or one wife, having children who believe, not accursed of dissipation or rebellion. Um, in First Timothy three, he puts it this way um, uh, verses four and five. He must be, speaking of an elder, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So what he's saying here, he's saying, look at leaders in the church, they need to understand they need to lead their family first before they lead the larger family of God. Now there's a debate among um, those who exegete the scripture, which is just a fancy word that says they study the scripture and then they write about it. Is that? Does this mean that every elder has to have every single one of his children to be actual believers? And, and there you, you, you wrestle with the sovereignty of God, and you know, everyone has their own um, responsible choices they got to make, and and all that. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you how you how you unravel that. But I think it's clear here is is they should not be rebellious about spiritual things. They might be struggling with it. They might be not walking with it. They might not even sure that they have made that step, but they are not rebelling against the message of Christ. And, they, and, and they're still listening to you as you try to influence them spiritually. But I think what the application here is, very plainly, is that uh, a man in leadership, and we could say all of us in our lives, we want, we want to influence our oikos, which is our household. The people that are closest to us not only blood relatives, but as it it maps out to people in our neighborhood and to people at work, people we know we do life with, that is our mission field. We want to influence them spiritually to to come after Christ. Would you agree with that? I mean, I want want even people I don't know to come to know Christ, but the people I do know, I, I want to be vested in to influence them. And so spiritual leadership are people who are committed to that. Now, some are going to be more gifted in terms of explaining the gospel and sharing the gospel. But the heart of a spiritual leader is someone who wants people close to him to know Jesus. Would you, would you nod your head like you're still with me, okay? okay. This is, this is, it's as simple and straightforward as this, okay? If tr- leadership in the church ought to be people we can trust morally, ethically, sexually, if you want to put it that way. We ought to be able to trust them uh, spiritually that that's what's important to them. That they want people to come to know Jesus, and particularly people in, in their life's circle. Uh, I'd love to quote these other verses, but we've got to move on. That that it's all about investing in people's lives to, to impact them, influence them spiritually. Thirdly, can you trust them responsibly? In First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, you know, he's talking about it, says, let uh, everyone regard us as being servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And, what, what what's important about a servant and a steward is that they be found trustworthy. Now I've used the word responsible here. When you when you gave the apostle Paul you know something to do could, you know just reading through the text or knowing a little about the Paul were you sure he was going to do it? You you were sure he was going to do it, and, and he said that he was responsible for getting it done, but but also. The word steward, which actually also comes from the word oikos. Aren't you excited about that? It's oikos namas, namas is law. And so it's the law of the household. To be a steward is to be uh, uh, managing the household. And I want to read this because I can't, I didn't memorize it. But, you know, stewards in that day were often slaves or, or, or slaves that had been freed. And it's interesting Stewards were responsible for household finances, responsible for making sure crops were properly planted, cultivated, and harvested. Oversight of all other household servants to provide for them and to assign and supervise their work. And you know, as I was reading about that, as far as a steward, I'm thinking, how good would I have been as a steward in the first century? I know nothing about crops, Okay. I don't know anything about cultivating, and harvesting the plants of the first century. They would have had to give me a different job. They would have had to give me a stewardship of something else. Would you agree with that? Some of you are just looking at me like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, let me give you another example of that. Okay, let's say you gave me the steward. I'm going to now be the, the, the worship and music leader at our church. Okay? And, and I, trust me, I would, give you, I would give my very best. I'd work hard, I'd do, I'd do everything I could. but you know, no matter how hard I, I would try, it would not sound too good when I played the organ. Okay, <laughs> The piano, once it got... You know, Is it chopsticks? Okay, I can do chopsticks. Beyond that, you're not getting anything else. Okay, if, gonna, if you want me to sing, it's not going to sound like Allegra or somebody else with, even with a male voice that carries a tune. Now, I could do it to my best of my ability, but that stewardship w- would not be able to be fulfilled very well. And so when you call to people in leadership they've got to be good at something that you want them to do. Are you following me? Um, I had to take my card in for a few things this week. The reason I took it in for a few things this week because I couldn't fix it myself, okay? Now, so stewards are given responsibility, and Paul even uniquely said, I've been given the steward, Colossians 125, to, to give leadership in the church in Colossae. Now, he wasn't given the stewardship to do it in Crete. He said, Titus, you've got to do that. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to try to fix up that mess that I left. And Paul was given the ministry of, of reaching Gentiles. Peter was not given that. Okay, He, he had that experience that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, but that he was not the, the apostle to the, the Gentiles. And so even within people who are in ministry, they, they might not be, that might not might be the perfect place or the role for them to be in because people have different gifts and talents. Now, does that filter down to all of us? Of course it does. In the church, do we all have the same gifts and talents and abilities to do things? No. But what we can do, do what we can do. And so, uh, what's the point here? Is when you choose leadership, one, choose people you can trust morally and ethically. Number two, got to choose people you can trust spiritually because they know what's important. They're trying to impact people spiritually. you got to trust people responsibly that you want to Get people who can do what you, that needs to be done. We all do that in every other part of life. We need to do that in the church as well. Fourthly, you need to trust them personally. Now, there's probably a better word than that than the one I just gave here. But this is, this is the list. And depending on which translation uh, the Bible you're using, they will say it a little bit differently. Uh, but here he gets into specific things. Okay, how is your life looking? Okay, and he says, I don't want you to be self willed, not self willed, not quick tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of s- sordid gain, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self control. Now, on a personal level, when you go home, when I go home, I need to look at this list and say, well, how would I, if I were to give my, myself a scale of one to ten, ten being the best, one being the worst, what, what numbers would I give on each one of these qualities? And the next week is supposed to turn in your homework and I'm going to look at all of them. No okay uh, i wouldn 't want to give you my list okay I, I, I failed a couple of these this week in terms of of uh, being sensible you know uh, on a couple things but But the thing is is he's saying this ought to be the, the direction of your life you 're not going to be perfect in these, but the direction of your life is this should be progressively true of your life, particularly if you 're in leadership in the church we 're talking about the elder position, and by the way, this is just for free. Uh, there are different words used for spiritual leadership at the, at, at the most responsible level. I won't call it the highest level, the resp- responsible level. Sometimes they're called elders. Sometimes they're called bishops. You ever heard that word? And, and sometimes they'll translate overseer or bishop. And the other times they'll call them pastors. You ever heard that word? Okay. But really, they're the same word. Each term really describes the same office or responsibilities. Yeah, you know, people who are elders are also people who are overseers. People who are overseers are also people who are pastors. Um, and, and those words describe not only who they are, but what they do. An elder means a person who is mature at whatever age they are. Do you know old people that aren't very mature? Come on, let's be honest, okay? Do we know young people that aren't very mature? A lot of them, okay? But there are young people that are pretty mature. There are older people who aren't mature. Elders, leaders in the church ought to be mature. Um, a bishop, an overseer—what was that? Per- that person who who looks over what's going on and said, let, "Let's let's make it work. Let's let, let's make it make it orderly. Let's make it uh, actually happen, and and let's supervise and empower and teach and encourage people to to be the best they can be. And then a, sh- a pastor—actually, you could translate that word shepherd. That person who's concerned about people's lives, not just where they fit in the org chart or what you know what their responsibilities are. I'm I care about their their own personal being, okay. Um, but anyway, is, is, he goes, he says, "So here's some things that'll be true about you." And I'm not going to list them, but you do have homework. You don't have to turn it in. Uh, but you know, rate yourself. How how, I, how would I describe myself, or other people who know me? How would they describe myself? They give me a. I don't think I don't think I'd get a ten on any of these. But I'm saying, you know, what would what kind of number would you give yourself? Not self-willed. Now, I could give you Greek terms on these, but you don't need Greek terms. These are pretty self-explanatory, whether it's in this translation or another translation. That means you're a person who's not overly concerned about always wanting what you want, right? Not self-willed. It's all about, it's all about me. I think I've kidded around a little bit about that. When I don't get my, my way at home, I just tell the people around, well, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about, you know. Well, it's not about, you know, me. You know, you can say in the positive or the negative, that's being self-willed. Not quick-tempered. We know what that is. Do you have a long fuse or a short fuse? Now, honestly, you know, in some areas we have long fuses, but what are, the, what are the places in our life we have short fuses? Would most of you admit there's some places in your life you've got a short, shorter fuse than others? Um, not addicted to wine. It's interesting that in the language there, it's, it's one word in the Greek, uh, which makes, basically it means at wine. And, and so, what's describing there? This is a person who's always at wine. It's constant; they, they, they're never away from it. Uh, and what does that mean? I don't know. But if, if 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 something else other than the spirit of God, the spirits are are more influencing you than the spirit of God, then you need to back off. Okay. And you know, one of my uncles was an alcoholic, and he he was he was. He was a great guy. He was a Christian, but he could not get control of this until toward the very end of his life, and he could not he could not escape it. Not pugnacious. I I almost laugh at this. You know, I'm thinking about okay when we decided who might be in our church, and and it's always open. If you aspire to the office of being an elder, contact me or one of the other elders, and there's a process. We we vet you a little bit, but the first thing you got to want to be an elder. Uh, as, a, as a man, but uh, I don't think I've ever had to turn someone down because they're always using their fists in an argument, you know? You know, Warren, you have to watch out for him because if you disagree with him, he's going to hit you, you know? But he had to say it there because it, in Crete, that was a problem. And look, you can't have that guy as a, as an elder. He hits people when he doesn't like what they have to say, but, but they were being real, okay? That, that could be a problem in, in some situations, not fond of sordid gain. And, you know, there's Saddening stories about pastors who are, you could tell—they're about the money, right? They they brag about their airplanes and the cars they drive and the multi- multiple houses they have. Well, that, as far as I'm concerned, it sounds like Paul said you're disqualified because you're after sort of gain. Hospitable—do you see that what you have is available to other people? It's your everything that we have is on loan from God, and so you're you're a generous person in terms of you know. Of of your time and your resources? Loving what is good. Do you have a sense of priority? You know what's important and what's not important. Sensible. Uh, Some take that as simply, uh, are are you sound in the way you think? And do you think through things? I mean, there's oftentimes I will make a decision. I say, you know, I probably should have thought about that a little bit more before I did it. Uh, Are you sensible? Uh, Just. Do you have a sense of what's right or wrong? Um, and, and, And really can discern that. And not just uh, get emotional about it. Devout, which means you really pursue God. You really have a heart. I want to grow in my faith. And self-controlled, which is, you know, are you in control or out of control? Uh, or is God, are you developing, you could put it this way, if I'm starting to develop more good habits and getting rid of bad habits, or is it the other way around? I'm collecting more bad habits than good habits. And so as we think again, what is, you know, choosing leadership. And again, particularly in the church, but also as God's people, to become these kind of people, we want to be people that people can trust morally and ethically. They can say, oh, I can trust that person morally and ethically. I can trust that person spiritually because that's what's really important to them. I can trust them responsibly. I can go to them in these areas because that's, that's where their strengths are. Uh, and then, fourthly, do they have the character qualities that you could say, I, I could see them as an example? not perfect but that's that's the direction of their life. And then finally, and this is this is the last verse that you could treat serves a message on. It says, "Oh, by the way, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict." That's basically the teaching ministry of the church and teaching ministry of God's leadership and saying, "We take this book and try to explain it clearly and authoritatively, and take what it says plainly, and and try to follow after it. But if you're all aware of what happened, there are people who take this book and they 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 come up with wild things about what this thing teaches. Some you know, and, and some of it sounds pretty good and something you like. You know, like the whole what's called health, wealth, and prosperity movement with scripture. If you really love Jesus and follow after him, he'll. He'll, he'll raise your bank account. And if you really love Jesus and follow after him, you won't get sick again. You know, and if you really follow him, your life will be marked by prosperity, not by challenge and um, things going wrong. Everything will go right in your life. Now, I'd like to sign up for that. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says all those who desire to live God in Christ Jesus, among other things, are going to suffer persecution. The Bible says, oh, by the way, not that you're not going to have trials, but consider all joy when you do encounter trials. You understand what I'm saying? So the people out there are saying those things and teaching those things. That, that's just not from God. And so there's a place where the, the church needs to correct false doctrine or false teaching. The word doctrine, is this is the word didaskalos, which is the word teaching. And the word sound, this is my last little freebie here. The word sound doctrine comes from a word from which we get hygienic. In other words, it's healthy doctrine. It's healthy teaching. Now, when I go to the doctor and, you know, there's something I'm feeling is not quite right. Maybe, you know, I got a pain someplace or I'm just not seem to be getting over something I just have gone through. And when I go to them, uh, uh, among other things, uh, what I want most... Of all from them, I want you to tell me the truth. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't, hey, you're, you're doing great. You're going to live to 150. And then, you know, next week I die. I go, well, what happened? Well, I didn't think you'd like what, I, you know, what was going to happen, so I just didn't tell you that. And, and the Bible tells us the truth. And so we need to follow the truth. And it's not always going to be easy to hear. It's going to be a challenge. Um, but that's what it's all about. So what's the point this morning? The point is this: uh, this is what we want to hold our elders to and uh, pastors to, and 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 there's there's a criteria there, and and part of it is gift mix and talent mix, and is it the right fit? Is it the stewardship that God has given? And the others are character qualities. It's about competency as well as chemistry. It's about commitment and passion. But it's going to go according to God's plan. But for all of us, the challenge is, okay, what application is there for my life? One is to, to pray for and, and to support those in leadership and maybe aspire for that position. But in the areas that God wants you to lead, in the areas he wants you to serve, in the lives he wants you to influence, this is, this is like the grid he wants to, us to examine. And sometimes it tells you what to do and not to do. I'm, I'm not going to pursue playing the organ for you t- next week. Okay, I'm just not going to do it. I don't care how much you ask me. I'm not going to play the organ next week. But in other areas, you know, God wants me to do. And, 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 and God wants us to be faithful. And he wants us to be concerned about what we do and how we do it and why we do it. And Paul, right off the beginning of his letter, challenged Titus to tell this to the Cretans. This is what you need to go after. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the midst of uh, looking at this passage that we might be people that desire that for ourselves and desire that for people in leadership over us. And Father, for all of us, we desire that, first of all, that people might really know who Jesus is. They might realize this, there's no way to, to live this out apart from the Spirit of God empowering us, leading us, guiding us, helping us when we mess up and get back on to the path you want us to live. And Father, if someone doesn't know Jesus, I pray they just might just surrender their life to him, saying, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of the sins of my life, I want to follow you completely and fully. And for our, those, those of us who know you, might, we just desire just to take one more step, and a step of obedience to your plan for our life, to just be who you want us to be and to do what you want us to do. And we praise in Christ's name, Amen.